0: Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. My guest this week is Tony Segreto, who is one of the most widely recognized and influential sportscasters in the South Florida area. He has been filling television sets in the homes of the area for more than 40 years, and I am honored to call him a friend and colleague. And so, Tony, welcome to People First.
1: I'm so happy to be with you, Morag. Uh, I did not, when you asked, uh, the the answer took about a millisecond for me to say yes. And uh, (laughs) I'm honored to be here. I'm excited about this conversation.
0: Well, I'm going to take you down memory lane. So my vision for people first is allowing individuals and thought leaders and icons such as yourself to share their story, their leadership journey. So I'm going to take you back to when you were a wee lad, a nipper. Just, yay, hi. And I'm just curious, when you were a wee lad, what did you imagine you were going to be when you grew up? What did you want to be?
1: Well, I, I, I either wanted to be Roy Rogers, who mm-hmm. for many of you was, you know, a great cowboy. He had Trigger. I wanted to have a horse mm-hmm. just like Trigger. Um, I wanted to be a major league baseball player. Um, or I wanted to be a broadcaster. Um, okay. In fact, when I was when I was in uh, eighth grade, I wrote a paper as to how I would be a sportscaster, a network sportscaster. And uh, I've been reminded by about that by all my buddies who I play ball with. Um, and uh, I, I accomplished two out of the, two out of the three in, in a way, uh, which was I've had a very blessed and charmed life. Uh, there wasn't a much need for a Roy Rogers cowboy by the time I turned eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, or there is, I just, you know, I, I wasn't in that space, but, uh, uh, as I was graduating high school, I was drafted to play professional baseball and, um, opted, opted to wait and go to college and play ball. But at the same time, I was offered an opportunity to go to work for NBC. And, um, that was an opportunity that I just couldn't pass up. So I switched universities. I went to the university of Miami um, mm-hmm. and uh, had a great education there and still uh, a very active alum there. And little did I know I'd become a broadcaster for their nationally televised and uh, national broadcast football team. Um, and, uh, you know, in the, middle, in the middle of that journey, just real quickly, um, I was uh, working for NBC and I was about 20 years old. And um, in South Florida at the time, the Baltimore Orioles were having a tryout. And uh, my my immediate manager said to me, how about you do a story where you try out for the team and let's see what happens. And I said, OK, well, I tried out for the team and made the last three. And I was offered a contract to go play for the Orioles. And I really gave it some serious consideration. Uh, but then I said, you know what? Uh, and it was tough because uh, my little group of, of friends, uh, all went out to play for the Yankees or the Texas Rangers and uh, made some big names with themselves, who I'm still dear friends with now and hear from them daily. Uh, and we sort of laugh about it. But but my journey went with NBC was remarkable because not only was I based in South Florida, like you had mentioned, and thank you for that that beautiful intro and- uh, for Icon, maybe a little strong, but I was based local, but I was able to do national for NBC. So I was able to travel the world for the network uh, in various stages for various different things. And I think that's what made my career so very special, because not only did I uh, was I able to stay in an area that I loved. And I was able to raise my family there. I was able to travel the world and represent, uh, you know, to me, the most dominant network at the time.
0: Mm-hmm. So the passion for sports started at a young age as a player and then, Natalie, as the fan and as the sportscaster.
1: Yes, it did. I, you know, I really did. I had a passion for sports uh, for a number of reasons. One, I, I loved competition. And to this day, I'm competitive. I'm extremely competitive. Uh, My wife looks at me and sort of shakes her head. She says, you are still too competitive. And uh, I mean, even when I play a game with my children or we do something together, I'm like, you know, I'm in it to win it. So I love competition. That's why I kind of love what I did, because we were competing every day against other networks, against other, you know, outlets, whatever the case might be. Um, I I loved being part of a team that was a collection of individuals that came from all different areas of life. Uh, it taught me real quick about diversity. It taught me real quick about, you know, getting along and having respect for people that you may not get along with philosophically, but you're part of a team. So that respect for them and to be able to work with them together uh, for a common goal was vital. So mm-hmm. to be able to, to vet that out uh, and and be a part of that, I think enabled me to have a a rich life of not only just being able to cover amazing sporting events from you know Olympics to you know championships to World Series, you name it, Uh, but to be able to understand how important culture and leadership and teamwork is, whether you're on an athletic team or whether you're in a business.
0: Yeah, and what I admire about the work that we've been able to do together is your ability to easily connect with others, or at least give the outward appearance of it being ease and put people at their ease. So how do you do that? What's the secret for connecting with such a diverse people who might be all going, oh my God, it's Tony, and be a little bit starstruck or a little bit tongue tied when they first meet with you? What advice do you have for young leaders in terms of building their network and connecting?
1: I think it's important to understand that you need to value people, no matter what they do or who they are, and you can't you can't label them. You can't put them in, in a silo and say, oh, he's, he's a wealthy person, he's a poor person, or she, or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. Um, I was taught at an early age by my father that you really needed to be able to adapt to whomever you had as a friend, and that it didn't matter what your friends did, that especially when I got into the position I was where you were highly visible. Um, you were exposed to, you know, an enormous amount of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what was important that my dad, God rest his soul, always preached was, you know, always stay grounded, always understand you're Anthony Segreto, not Tony Segreto, that you have a family, you were brought up with a certain lifestyle and a certain culture within your family home, and you need to maintain that at all times. But at the same time, you need to be able to understand that whether you're talking to a person uh, Ph.D. Whether you're talking to a man or a woman who delivers your mail,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or I mean, let's just go through the spectrum, you kind of get the, the the focus here that you take time to value them as individuals and get to learn to know them. And to this day, Morag, I mean, my my friendships are so eclectic. Um, it's 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 incredible. I mean, some some are are billionaires 10 times over with private jets that fly all over the world, and some can barely rub two nickels together. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I love them both, not because of who they are, not because of what they do or what they Mm -hmm. have, but because of who they are. I love their souls. I love hearing their stories. So I think that that's really, really helped me um, a lot, because I love connecting with people. I love finding out what makes them tick. And I have a great respect for, for example, uh, I, the Lord blessed me with some talent, but He didn't bless me with the talent to like make a desk or build a house or yeah. put a roof on or some. And those people who who have that that ability, those artisans, fascinate me. I I, I can't talk to them enough. I can't ask them enough questions. And uh, so that's that's kind of a a long about long, a long road to the answer. But I think that's what's really helped me a lot, because I do truly connect with people. I really do. It's it's not a you can't fake it. And I tell young people all the time, especially those who want to get into my business, my former business, Mm -hmm. you need to be yourself all the time. You can't be two different people, because if you're two different people, like if you're if your persona, on TV is one person and your persona off TV is another, you're going to get mixed up. You're going to confuse the audience and you're not going to be come off as genuine. You're going to be very disingenuous. So I think that's what you need to be. And you need to understand that we all bleed the same color blood. We all have the same soul and our heart beats the same way to keep us alive.
0: And that's one of the things I love seeing in the evolving workplace is that openness to different perspectives and different points of view. And in fact, as much as 2020 has been one of the most stressful years for many people with us all working from home and the impact it's had, it's also in some ways leveled the playing field in that everybody is now working remotely versus you're just the sole voice on a a webcam or whatever. And we're just starting to see more of the human coming in because you know the kids will run through, or the dog or the cat bounces through the video, and we're less. You're
1: hearing my yard guy behind me. Well, hearing, exactly. Hear, and, the guy with the mower.
0: And it it makes it both, it makes it more personal because we're starting to see the human behind the job title or the human behind the name, and and I think that is something I hope that we can continue long beyond this becoming a, a note in history. So I'm curious. I mean, we're in the midst of this. We we don't know when this becomes the footnote in history, but I'm curious, Tony, what do you hope that the collective we take away from the experience that has been 2020 so far?
1: Well, it's interesting because I had a conversation with my son about that, and you've met my son.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and this was when... Um, right after, um, right after the the last death, when you know the outcry for Black Lives Matter happened, mm-hmm. and uh, my son lives in Atlanta, and there was a there was a disturbance, there was a you know a protest going on, and I called and said, "Are you okay?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "It's not it's not close to me. I'm watching it." He goes, "You know, Dad, I, I think this is the beginning of a movement." And I said, well, I'm going to send you a song that was recorded back in 1966 uh, by the Buffalo Springfield, and it's called for what it's worth. And the song was written because of uh, an issue that was going on in California. A lot of people thought it was going on because of the shootings at Kent State University. But there was a real, real issue going on in California. I said, you know, we've seen a lot of movements over the years. I've seen a lot of them. I've seen a lot of protests. I've seen Rodney King. I've seen, I mean, on and on and on and on and on. Uh, And I said, I'm hopeful that we can really take hold of this and it gets roots. Because it's not just what we're seeing here with Black Lives Matter. Uh, We're seeing a confluence of a situation right now, societally wise, where we're talking about um, our, our, our markets, people are out of, out of work
0: mm-hmm. we're
1: talking about the pandemic. We're talking about diversity and making sure that everybody is handled, mm-hmm. uh, in a very fair, honest way. Correct. Yeah. So each one of those is standalones Morag would be hard enough to handle, but now there's this, you know, confluence, all three of them. And you're like, Oh my goodness gracious. How am I going to handle all this? This is what I hope. I hope that we emerge from this, with a deep respect for each other, for a deep respect of what our values are, and for a deep understanding of who we are as individuals, that we don't because I'm Italian doesn't mean I'm attached to you know the mafia. Mm-hmm. Because you're English doesn't mean like yourself like you're gonna have crumpets every day, right? We, we we can't. Although we're gonna we're gonna gravitate to those people yeah. because there's a familiarity, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's this there's this commonality. You know, uh, Italian food. You know, English English. Uh, you yeah. know, the proper way to speak. Whatever the case might be. I don't mean to. We're not gonna lose that. I just mean we need to not put labels on everyone, and we need to respect them with a value, with a true value that they're valued people. And that they're replaced on this earth you know, by a higher power, by God, by what you believe in. And my hope is that we value not only each other, but value each other's personal space. And we have a deep respect um, for our environment and what's going on in the world.
0: Oh, so I second that, treble that, quadruple that. It's the move from the me to the we and that it is the one scarce resource of planet Earth, and we need to come together. That's the bigger end goal that I would love for us to rally around. But right now, it's embrace curiosity, a bit like I'm doing with people first. It's the stories that people have and how, how and where do we connect? Because there are so many ways that we are similar And yet we tend to focus on the very few things where we may differ, whether that's point of view, hair colour, accent, et cetera. So let's focus on where we do agree and then we can solve these major challenges together. But I also hope it moves from words to actions, because for many of these topics we've been talking about them for far too long. Now is time to step up and do different
1: Exactly. I mean, that's what I said to my son. I said now's really the time to to, to get a hold of it. I'm, I'm hoping that this this so-called movement that you think, isn't dropped, isn't forgotten. Mm-hmm. I mean, was there anything more moving than to see Dr. Martin Luther King give his speech, and we thought for sure this is, you know, we've got this. And well, we we didn't. No. And um, it's shocking to think and see, you know, what what we have. And here's the thing, Morag. No matter how we try, the, the white American man or woman can't truly feel and experience what the African-American man or woman have experienced and what they've heard generationally, what they felt themselves, how they feel about certain things, how they're treated. Um, we can't feel and understand what the Jewish American— uh, in that generational, what what they went through. We can't truly feel that. But what we can do is really speak to them in a tone where we want to know we can understand and respect and do the best we can to help them as well and help really? ourselves be able to handle and understand um, uh, what, they've, what they've been through. We're never going to feel that. We can't feel that. You know, uh, as an Italian-American, you know, my grandparents suffered what they suffered through in terms of, you know, prejudice and what they were called and, and how they were re- prevented to do things. Uh, I've heard those stories over and over again, no matter how many people who aren't Italian say they understand, they don't. Yeah. We don't. OK. But what we can do is do the best we can to have a dialogue to try and see where we can have a, a bond. So there is a respect. There is a true respect for the human being.
0: Well, it comes back to curiosity. It comes Mm -hmm. back to having the role models. And what you said earlier on is understanding our own personal values and being aware enough to know, am I living up to these every day? Am I doing my best to show up as the best version of me? So I'm curious. You mentioned Martin Martin Luther King there. But through your career, who comes to mind as a best person? An inspiration for you—a best boss, a best colleague, somebody that you look to as a role model that you worked with. Who comes well, to and what makes them special? You know, I—it's
1: I, um, it, here. I'm going to kind of flip that on you because okay. the very first interview I ever did—I was 18 years old. I interviewed Jesse Owens. Oh. Now, for context, first interview. Excuse me. My first interview was with Jesse Owens.
0: Wow. For context:
1: okay. for People who don't know one of the greatest Olympians of all time. Mm-hmm. And this is well documented in his book. But I got to spend time with him, um, and uh, in fact, <laughs> and, and I will, I will, I will share this with you without getting into detail. Uh, after I finished the interview, he was asked me if I wanted to join him in a scotch. And at yeah. the time you could drink when you were 18. Okay. And you and I have shared a few Scotches together. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, we have.
1: And at the time I had never had a Scotch. And he said, well, young man, how would you like me to teach you? It's pretty hard to pass up a Jesse Owens t- teaching you how to drink Scotch.
0: <laughs> but
1: yes. the, the, the takeaway here was this. Here was this young man, African-American who's representing the United States in Nazi Germany the Olympics. Mm -hmm. He has to perform in front of Adolf Hitler. The night before his race, he gets a call from the president of the United States in the Olympic Village. Now, mind you, prior to this, uh, there was a whole series of episodes that happened uh, in the United States. Uh, One of our great heavyweight champions, an African-American, was beaten in a shock by a German, Max Schmeling,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, the Hitler and, and his hit men paraded in front of Jesse Owens, uh, where he lived in the Olympic village with signs saying, you know, you're going to go down, you know, uh, just like, you know, we're, we're going to beat you just like Max Schmeling did. But it's the night before his race. And he tells me this story. And again, well documented. You can read about it. But he tells me personally how he gets a call from the president of the United States and the president of the United States said to him, the weight of the world is on your shoulders. You need to prove to the Aryan nation that we are not going to bow to their power. We are not going to you know, kneel in front of them, that we are the superior nation and that we will rise above that and we don't agree with policy you can do this the weight of the united states you are carrying our flag you are representing every human being on the planet in the united states of america standing for freedom and i go wow the president calls you he goes yeah
0: no pressure and what
1: did you think forget the pressure he goes this is what i thought i said yes sir mr president and he hung up the phone He said and this is what i thought so the president tells me all of these things And regardless of what happens, when I return home, I still have to sit in the back of the bus. I still have to go into a bathroom that says colored. Mm -hmm. I still have to drink out of a water fountain that says colored. And I can't live in the neighborhood I want to live in. But yet the weight of the United States is on my shoulders. He said it with such grace. He didn't say it with anger. He didn't say it with frustration. He didn't say it with malice. He said it as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. and he went on to win, you know, all those gold medals, and uh, still had to take the freight elevator for his award ceremony. he Had to take the freight elevator up to the award ceremony. Couldn't even take the main elevator up to the award ceremony. Jesse Owens w- went on to become this, you know, amazing man and advocate for diversity, mm-hmm. for respect and for understanding. So to me, that, that still to this day resonates with me more than anything or anybody I ever worked with. And I worked with some remarkable, remarkable people and, and, and worked uh, and covered a remarkable leaders uh, that were just, you know, amazing You know, uh, and uh, to to have that still resonate, to to see, still see myself as 18 years old, sitting in a bar with Jesse Owens, him telling me that story and me just shaking my head going, first of all, I can't believe I'm doing this. And B, B, listening to the story just sort of, you know, gave me the goose leather that today still gives me.
0: So if you had that opportunity, you know, the tin can with a long piece of string, the time machine, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self as you're embarking on your career?
1: I think the advice that, that I would give to my younger self that still my friends tell me that they didn't do either um, is to love every moment, to live that moment, to not be in such a rush. Uh, that's the advice because you're gonna experience things that were remarkable and are remarkable. Mm -hmm. And it took me, I think it really hit me, Morag, about enjoying a moment. Uh, And again, I'm just, you know, you and I are friends, so you you wanna know the truth here, was when I was sitting in the Oval Office with the first president, George Bush, and I'm literally sitting in the Oval Office and I'm looking around going, wow, how is this, Sports guy sitting in the Oval Office, just he and I, with the president of the United States. And at that moment, it sort of said, all right, you got to slow this down, right? The The great athletes will tell you one of the things that makes them great is they're able to slow the game down. They're able to make it so that it's slower and they can maneuver within that game, right? And that's when I said to myself, I need to slow myself down. And so my advice is to really embrace those moments, enjoy them. Don't rush through them. Don't keep looking, you know, 30 steps ahead. Mm-hmm. Be where you are now. Be as good as you can be now. Get better so that if if, if 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 it's meant to be, you will go on. But if it's not meant to be, things will still come your way because that's really ultimately what I did. Every time I was given an opportunity to go to a new place, whether it was ESPN when it first started or to Cleveland or New York or big markets, bigger markets locally, but I was still with the network. Um, every time I did that, every time I was offered that, something else better would come along with it that the network would offer me to do things for the network and still stay based in South Florida. Mm-hmm.
0: I like so that. that. get sucked into the chasing versus the savoring. Absolutely. It's like, you know,
1: there's there's an old Southern saying that, you know, and I'll use Thanksgiving dinner as an example, that the that the Thanksgiving meal is just as much fun, you know, smelling as it is eating. Right. And and there's nothing more uh, upsetting to me when someone, especially my wife, who's like an amazing cook or my mother who was or my mother in law, you know, They've worked all day and they give you this amazing meal. There's nothing that bothers me more than someone rushing through that meal and they're done in five minutes and they want to go sit on the couch. It's just like, OK, let's savor the meal. Let's savor the moment. Let's savor some really good conversation. Let's let's have an opportunity to spend time together and enjoy and have the meal be the vehicle. But the conversation is really the outcome.
0: And I have some very fond memories of slow dinners and long conversations, far-reaching conversations, and I look forward to that opportunity <laughs> again, when we're all allowed out to play at some point in the future. So I'm curious in you have a new passion project. Tell me about your new passion project.
1: So well, you know I was um, uh, I am uh, I am I am well into my senior years. And uh, I still try to stay as active as I can. Um, And I try to stay young at heart. I I give advice to young people um, that I see today. And they go, what is one of the things you tell young people you ask me? And I told savor the moment. But one of the other things I tell them is when you get older, don't hang around people your age. Hang around people younger so you can stay young at heart and young in mind. Uh, Because uh, I was noticing when I was over a period of time, I was hanging around, you know, a bunch of old buddies of mine and who are, are still my, and I love them to death. But I think I, I kept hearing them talk about, you know, I got cataract surgery. I got a hip done. I got this, mm-hmm. that did you, did you sign up for AARP and all these things? And, and I thought to myself, goodness me, I, I, I know I need to be aware of all of these things, but I think that what's important is that we need to empower uh, senior citizens to understand that they have a lot of value left and a lot of great things to share. So I created the Baby Boomer Report. And um, it's all about empowering the boomer to understand that they have things that they can still do. And I I brought in a bunch of friends of mine to help me with it. But I interviewed a bunch of friends of mine who are still at the age of 75, 80 years old, very active. I have podcasts with them and videocasts with them. Um, You can find them on the babyboomerreport.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, but our BabyBoomerReport.com dot com is going uh, to I had an opportunity, spent a lot of time with Kobe O'Brien, the very first Mouseketeer with Annette Funicello, with Walt Disney, who at 75 years old, he was a drummer at 75 years old, is still touring the country with Annette, uh, with, uh, with Annette, with uh, J- Jennifer Peters, I just lost her name. So, um, and I will, Bernadette Peters, there we go. Uh, so he's still touring with Bernadette Peters. I interviewed Cousin Brucie, uh, for those who live in the Northeast and who know one of the quintessential, one of probably the greatest name in radio disc jockey history. And at 75, 80 years old, still, uh, still kicking and still doing radio. Um, I interviewed uh, just, you know, amazing Bucky Dent, A guy I grew up with, and he hit the home run that beat the Boston Red Sox. He's my age. He's still active, doing a lot of charity work and and involved with the Yankees. Gail King, just to mention a few. Mm -hmm. Two police officers who were 25-year veterans of, of New York City police, undercover police, decide to leave New York City after 25 years and at the age of 65 move to Vermont and open up a bakery. Uh, And and I've interviewed I interviewed Gail King uh, as well, who, you know, you see her on CBS Morning News every morning and uh, you can find all of those. And I think they're inspiring to listen to. I think that they will give you a little foot up and a spring in your step. And I and I'm really still I'm very passionate about it. We're we're bringing on different boomers all the time. We're about to talk to KC and the Sunshine Band, who are still they're still performing. So um, that's my project, Along, among other things too. I'm doing a lot of virtual things now, and uh, yeah, but but I think that's kind of my my passion now. Just really trying to connect with the boomer to understand that. Life doesn't, you know, we don't have to set our clocks for three o'clock to watch that afternoon television show.
0: (laughs) In fact, please don't. And as a uh, card-carrying member of AARP and therefore officially now a woman of a certain age, I love the fact that the future is continue to be active, continue to get involved, continue to reinvent your career and maybe open a a bakery somewhere. The options are there. You've just got to choose them and seize them.
1: And you have to trust yourself and believe in yourself. And I think it's this, you know, Morag, find out what your, not only your passion, but find out what are you curious about. And if you find that curious part of you and match it with a passion, no matter how old you are, you can make a success out of it. And if for no other reason, not monetarily, but it's success for your own inner being, for your own satisfaction. You know, like I said, I'm not handy, but in Vermont, I'm i am talking to you from my studio in Vermont. Uh, in Vermont, I become a handyman. I, I can, you know, if, if, if it may take me a month to sand a desk and refinish it, but I am so proud of myself when I'm done because I was able to, I was curious enough to figure it out, and then see if I could make it work. So that's what, that's what we're trying to do.
0: Tony, you're awesome. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you very much. I'm going to make sure all of that information is in the wrapper and the show notes below. But thank you. And I wish you and your family and everybody you hold dear, continued help and success.
1: God bless you my friend. I, I could not have enjoyed a, a more a, a more wonderful half hour. I hope I didn't uh, manipulate your time too much because oh. uh, I love I love spending time with you a and B uh, when it comes to maybe helping or, or giving some words of wisdom hopefully there was something sage in there
0: that uh, it's fun. To Thank you. Thank you so much for joining more act today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow SkyTeam and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.